0: let how's it going?
1: Good, Katie. I've been uh, expanding my social horizons a little bit. What's going on? Well, my girlfriend, as hard as this might be to believe, is cooler than I am, so I have access... Horses generally yeah. are. <laughs> uh, I thought we were retiring the horse jokes. Didn't we have like a ceremony? You were
0: retiring okay. it. Uh,
1: my actual girlfriend is cooler than me and has access to stuff I don't have access to. Through her roommate, we went to this weird like... Uh, uh, imagine a brownstone in a gentrifying part of Brooklyn that throws like an all-house party, like four floors. This was Roman and Greek-themed and just like the most over-the-top crazy thing. You have to buy tickets online. It was insane. Online? Yeah, that's crazy. They sold tickets online of all places. Can you believe that? Crazy. That's the whole story. (laughs) Uh, We're waiting in line for it. So you have to... It's a costume party, which is not normally my thing, but I acquire a piece of fabric. I'm wearing... Uh, everyone, close your eyes and picture this. I'm waiting, like in the cold rain, outside a row house in a long wearing line. a toga. Yes, wearing it looked like a sari, more like a sari, because it was like this sort of cloth that didn't really look like a toga. But I'm wearing that, and um, the crowd here. Do you know the term burner?
0: Like Burning Man? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So burners. I didn't know the term, but it's like it's this particular crowd of people that tell me if I have if you think this is fair. They're like open-minded, open to experience, very druggy, very like getting in touch with their feelings and, and having new experiences.
0: Yeah. I'm throwing some polyamory in there, but yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They like cuddle parties and stuff like that.
0: Absolutely. Group showers.
1: These are not my normal people, but I, I sort of wish I was more like that in many ways. I wish I did more drugs. I wish I was more open and less judgmental. So, you know, I'm interested in the scene. This is the scene at this party. We're waiting in line. I'm overhearing a conversation between... Uh, friends of friends of my girlfriend and this guy is is saying you know there are all these like experiences are uh, centered around uh sight and sound and touch but what if you could like provide someone an experience uh centered on taste and i was like did did this did this motherfucker just invent restaurants i think he did and I just I want to do enough drugs that I get to the place where an idea like that will pop into my head and I'll be like what if we centered experiences around taste. So I just want to get there.
0: He's probably in from San Francisco. He's probably going to go back and start a start a startup. <laughs> Eatly. Eat- <laughs> That's a good one. Yes, Eatly, all lowercase.
1: This was a if, this was a memorable night. I it's just like a lot of much more attractive people than me, if that if you can imagine that, wearing like both sexes, wearing skimpy outfits, uh, and then me just like pretending to know how to dance. But I was glad I experienced it. Uh, I'll bring you to the next one, Katie. I think you'd really like it.
0: The last party I went to was Amanda Knox's time travel themed wedding that I went to with John Ronson right before <laughs> the pandemic.
1: That's already a much better story. What was the the what was the, the one moment that jumps out at you from that?
0: Probably the lightsaber fight in the middle. Between who? I can't say I can't say anything else about it. It was just it was a very theatrical Amanda and her husband are burners. Oh, so that, that should explain funny. some okay. things to you.
1: Yeah. yeah. Katie, what is the name of this increasingly drug addled podcast?
0: This is Blocked and
1: Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single and um yeah, that story sounded better in my head than... Well, sorry about <laughs> they that. always do, do, don't they? <laughs> I'll do a better one. Day. I was waiting in line and a guy said a thing. And I every
0: thought week I'm funny. like, Jesse, do you have a way that you want to start this? And every week you say yes. And every week I should say, actually, let's not.
1: Uh, we should just run down the days like economic data, like the S&P 500. That'd be do the forecast. <laughs>
0: Uh, all right.
1: What are we? What the fuck are we talking about today? We have
0: a big show today. We are going to be talking about the big reveal of the week—the identity of the woman behind Libs of TikTok. We are also going to be talking about the return of PJ Vote, the disgraced PJ Vote from the, the podcast Reply All. And
1: disgraced? Question mark.
0: Yes. Uh, but first,
1: first, I want to talk about a uh, a really important and informative tweet storm I saw. Um, so Katie, why don't I just read this to you? Actually, why don't I first start by saying, give people a quick rundown of who Jason Stanley is.
0: Jason Stanley is a Yale professor. He uh, won't let anyone forget that. And he is also a man who I would say has never taken a Rorschach test where the answer wasn't fascism. Rorschach. Whatever.
1: Isn't it Rorschach? Whatever. <laughs> all right. All right.
0: He's never looked at a sunset without seeing fascism, in fact.
1: Yes. He's, he's considered a leading scholar of fascism. His critics argue that he maybe sometimes um, sees it where it isn't there. But either way, here's the, here's the tweet storm he unleashed on us. Uh, this was actually yesterday as of recording, April 21st. Confession. I took the SATs in Germany in 11th grade. I didn't prepare at all. Took it cold. I scored a 1380, 690 verbal, 690 math. I was so mortified by getting what I regarded as a very low score, I have since then always just said it was much lower, just to show I don't care. The most Googled thing for me is Jason Stanley SAT. Also, I blew the PSATs away uh, away the previous year, that's another standardized test, which got me a scholarship. Honestly, I regarded any score under 1500 as an embarrassment, should have studied, The whole conservative freakout about my supposedly low SAT scores is due to me lying about them being artificially low on Twitter. The important point to know is that my brother got a perfect 1600, so 1380 was embarrassing. Um, What do you think of this tweet storm, Katie?
0: I think he should have kept that one for the priest. Okay, I'm just (laughs) going to do a little fact checking here. So I just Googled Jason Stanley, and the first thing that comes up is Twitter, then his book, then wife, then books, then obituary, then book, book, book. I don't think it's true that the most commonly Googled thing about Jason Stanley is his fucking SAT source.
1: Wait, let me let me try an incognito mode. Jason
0: Stanley. Yeah.
1: No, for me, it was Jason no Stanley way. SAT.
0: Why is Google yeah, giving us different?
1: Oh, I'm doing it from incognito mode. If you don't do incognito mode, it, it factors in your own interests. Like You probably have asked about his death a lot, so it mentions his life.
0: <laughs> And his wife, yeah.
1: I have wife books, obituary, Wikipedia, but those are all below Jason Stanley SAT.
0: Yeah, I don't have that. I have Twitter up top. Um,
1: I just find it amazing that, like, of course, nobody actually, if conservatives are obsessed with Actually,
0: Jason wait. I have Jason Stanley worst moments, which is something
1: that I have Googled. <laughs> I just, this is the most, like, um, clumsy, humble brag I've ever experienced, which, first of all, he, he ends it by saying 1380 is an embarrassing score, which... It not is obviously <laughs> embarrassing. It's like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I only got I think I yeah. checked. It's like the 94th percentile. But then <laughs> this this setup where you're like, look, I'm only addressing this because so many conservatives are asking about my SAT scores. I just want to clarify. I did great on the SATs. I it's just, you know, everyone was talking about it. He had no choice. He had to talk about it, Katie.
0: Jason Stanley should teach a class at Yale on cell phones. <laughs> the, uh, Can we play it, that montage. My name is Jason Stanley. I'm the Jacob Jurovsky Professor, <laughs> Professor, so Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. My name's Jason Stanley. I'm the Jacob Jurovsky Professor of Philosophy…
1: Why is this so funny Hi. My name's
0: Jason Stanley. I'm the Jacob Jurovsky Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. My name's Jason Stanley. I'm a teacher in the philosophy department here at Yale University. Uh, I'm the Jacob Jurovsky Professor of Philosophy. I'm the Jacob Jurofsky Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. I'm the author of five books most recently. How fast
1: should someone someone should do that with us introducing Black Reported. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this was awesome. It's like, it's like, look, all these people are talking about my penis size. I wouldn't normally talk about it, but I have a huge dick. Just because everyone is talking about my penis all the time.
0: That happens to me all the time.
1: The level of um Narcissism on display here is amazing. I think he blocked me a while ago. So that's really what I meant. Does he block you?
0: Uh, I don't think he blocks me. No, he doesn't block me. I can still see his tweets. Uh, he was in a fight with Wesley Yang yesterday. Wesley Yang was insulting him and he just responded to it in like totally good faith, which I actually appreciate. So
1: yeah, that's Jason Stanley. I just, that seemed like an important update about his SAT scores. We We constantly get emails from people who wanted to know Jason Stanley's SAT score. So we thought we'd pass that along.
0: What was your SAT score? Mine was 1380. <laughs> was it really? No. <laughs> Let's just say I don't think 1380 is a particularly embarrassing score. <laughs> no, it's a, 1380 is a great
1: score. I see these fucking people. Okay, the other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to libs of TikTok was um, Katie, do you remember a guy named PJ Vote and a podcast called Reply All? Can't
0: block him out. Have tried.
1: We did a whole episode on this and I if memory serves we had like multiple updates because so much news was breaking. Um Basically, PJ was the the creator and co-host of a podcast called Reply All, which was once one of the best podcasts on the internet. There was a huge meltdown there where PJ was accused of, uh, and and his uh, uh, producer, Sruthi Pinamaneni, they were accused in a viral tweet storm by a former colleague named Eric Eddings of, it was hard to say what they were accused of, some combination of harassment and racism, because Sruthi and PJ uh, initially did not support this uh, unionization effort at Gimlet. As we've discussed, and as I've written in my newsletter, including my most recent piece, it's always been like pretty vague exactly what PJ did um, to warrant what happened next, which was he stepped down. He and Shruthi both stepped down. Then they both left the company. And this—it's safe to say that this like caused the implosion of Reply All, right? Oh,
0: absolutely. They're still making episodes now. They went through a long break. There's a new co-host um, whose name is Emmanuel Dotsy, who hosts along with um, PJ's former partner Alex Gold. Burr, gold gold because of your
1: anti-Semitism, we have a lot of issues
0: with this. Yeah, uh, with Alex. And so they're still putting out episodes. They went through a long period of basically not putting out episodes. Now they are, again, on a pretty – like we- on a weekly schedule. Um, but the episodes, for the most part, the quality has, I think, gone way, way, way downhill since PJ left. Yeah, I – um.
1: I in the thing I just wrote, I basically said I find the show unlistenable now. I haven't listened in a while. A couple of people said it's gotten better maybe, but it's just, it's not the same. And it's this whole meltdown. It's really hard to know what, um, you know, why it happened, why, why this show needed to melt down. No one can explain exactly what these guys did that would warrant this. So anyway, PJ boat is back. He's doing a, a podcast called crypto Island that I haven't listened to yet. Uh, that is basically about the world of crypto and, um, I wanted to talk about this review Vulture, Nick Kwa, Qua, or Quay, I don't know how to pronounce his last name because that's not what we do on the show. Uh, he wrote it for Vulture. He's like the sort of podcast reviewer and writer. Um, and he also did a long reported piece on what happened at Gimlet when Reply All melted down. This all happened when Reply All did a series called Test Kitchen hosted by Sruti Pinamini about the um, alleged racial problems, racism problems at Bon Appetit. That was what led to the meltdown. So here's what Nick Nick Quay writes. On the other hand, there remains the test kitchen of it all. It isn't hard to plug Crypto Island into the ongoing question about what should happen after someone gets so publicly taken to task for a wrong. In vote's case, that's PJ Vote. it was a situation in which he had placed his professional needs in front of those of others, a stance that resulted in him opposing an effort within Gimlet to unionize and improve conditions for co-workers who did not have the same power, privileges, and security that he did. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, there are layers, of course, to the question of what happens to the ousted after something like this, and we rarely get good opportunities to process this question with the appropriate sense of proportion or nuance. Now that we have one such opportunity, I'm struggling with the tension. I don't think someone in Vote's position should necessarily be side-eyed from making things or working again. At the same time, the straightforwardness of his return gives me pause. What's your initial reaction to this, Katie?
0: I mean, PJ Vote disappeared for a year. That seems like punishment to me losing your job i assume that he lost many many of his friends within within the industry if you were, if you were
1: on twitter like when this happened he was destroyed by like a huge number of people within audio just circulated the most negative claims about him this this became like a the pylon of all media pylons
0: and he went from being like popular cool guy to being absolute dog shit in the eyes of the media, basically, in the eyes of his his former colleagues, I think he's been punished, especially because he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, the test Kitchen series, as we talked about, people can go back and listen to our episodes on that if you 're curious. The test Kitchen series was poorly conceived, like they made decisions in the beginning that they weren 't going to interview four part series they weren 't going to interview any white people for the series there were ton- they made tons of errors with that piece and p j frankly. He came across as a bit of a self-righteous prick like on the the reply all subreddit people were criticizing the series and he went on and 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 posted this like long message about how the people who were criticizing the series were racist but opposing a union there's nothing inherently wrong with opposing a union if it is counter to your own interests it-
1: and the, and what's funny about this is Nick Quay wrote a reported piece for Vulture that lined up with a New York Times reported piece, both of which provided a lot of context for the reasons – Pitomadini and vote were initially against the union and also by the end of this by the time all this happened they were in favor of the union it's not like they stayed opposed to it but there was all this background context about these like this fraught situation within gimlet involving contractors and questions of status and questions of money because some people had equity in the country company
0: this was not including pj i'm PJ sure had, he, was one, of, he, he was, was one of the maybe early the th- second or third employee yeah yeah, yeah. and uh Sruthi had some too None of this means. And Gimlet was in the process of negotiating to be bought by to be acquired by Spotify. So presumably, PJ had a like large financial stake in this going through.
1: And yeah, and in fact, management convinced the folks trying to organize the union to delay it until the acquisition. So there were a million reasons why there were likely legitimate concerns some folks had about this unionization effort, and the simplification of this story into. Well, a lot of the people trying to unionize were people of color. Therefore, PJ Vodin, Shruti, Pinin, and Sruthi Pinnamaneni are anti-people of color is like infantile. That's not how anything works. The idea you can't oppose something because the people involved with it are... I, I don't... I, I was surprised that Quay... Would even suggest that he has any concerns about PJ vote being able to work again, or that I don't get it. I
0: mean, he would put his own reputation on the line if he defended PJ vote. I think is, I mean, this might be like how he actually feels, but can you imagine? He's the podcast critic. He's also in this industry. If he came out and said like, "Oh, PJ's new show is great, and we welcome back to this world," people would be pissed about it.
1: Yeah, it, that's depressing. And and what I noticed, um, I, I released this. It, it's a paid post on my newsletter this morning. Really digging into this. Um. I got a huge surge of subscriptions, including from a lot of people within the audio world. And that is because there's an appetite for more, for basically communicating the conversations people are having in the back channel. In the back channel, a lot of people were saying, I don't quite understand what PJ did wrong. I think this is over the top. Everyone's scared shitless to say that publicly because they'll be next. That's one of the advantages of being sort of pre-canceled. We can, none of us, you and I don't give a shit about what the loudest. I say post-canceled. Whatever it is. We were pre-canceled. Now we're post-cancellation. But We don't give a shit because we think a lot of the people on Twitter trying to destroy other people's careers are idiots. And we don't we don't care and we don't have any like we don't rely on them for anything. It it frees you up. But it's just another example of how, like, there's a lot of eyeballs being left on the table by mainstream outlets. Anyone could have written this column like for the last year. And I'm happy. We're happy to. Suck up the eyeballs and subscriptions, but it just points to like pretty big blind spots in mainstream media. That that opinions a lot of people have can't be expressed because like oh no, a bunch of twenty five year old assholes on Twitter will
0: yell at you. PJ did call a colleague a shithead, I believe. Although if that's a firing offense, then both you and I should have been fired many times from the show.
1: Also, I think what he he said like tell this other person this other person called them a shithead. I don't know. Either way, it's not. Yeah, that doesn't – I just. I think of some of the interactions I had when I, like, worked in an office, like, especially when there was, like, late at night, working on a joint project. B- people say stuff. But um, anyway, if people disagree – People said stuff. People said stuff. Um, if people disagree and think that anyone has presented any evidence that PJ Vote and Sruthi Pinnamineni deserve what they got, feel free to send it to me. I'll be open-minded. I just – I can't believe the way this has hardened – into the sort of widely held belief that they did something really wrong and now need to atone for it. I think that's fucked up. That's 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 what I think.
0: I wonder what Shruti's up to these days.
1: Yeah, uh, it's an interesting question. I wonder if she'll if she'll come back in the same way.
0: So I was listening yesterday to the latest reply all and Emmanuel was hosting, and it's sort of a, a cute premise. He calls everybody in his phone in his phone book.
1: That I can't imagine that. It was it good?
0: Well, <laughs> first of all, I waited the entire time for him to get to the V's to see if he was going to call PJ, and he did not. <laughs> so that was disappointing. Hey, man, what's up? Just check it in. It was totally okay. It was a, a sort of a charming little piece. Um, of course, it has 10 minutes about race because everything that Emmanuel creates has at least 10 minutes about race. But I was going through my phone afterwards thinking, like, what would this be like, you know? How terrible would this be? And even just in the A's, I had Amber Stripper... And then Amy Chua, right that. <laughs> maybe should like get like Buck Angel like three after that. I have Grover Norquist in my phone. It would be so fucking bizarre.
1: Get those four you just mentioned on like a five way call and just see what happens.
0: Yeah, I wonder what Amber Stripper thinks of CRT in schools. Is
1: her last name Stripper or is she a stripper?
0: I assume so. I have no idea who she is. I think she. I think actually, I did a story for the Stranger once on on strippers. I think. I think probably she's from that.
1: Uh. uh yeah, I th- I've been fixated on this media story. I think what happened at ReplyAll should be a lesson to a lot of um, people who run media companies about how not to handle this. This was a com- mostly self inflicted meltdown. All you had to do was ignore a tweet storm and like tell PJ and Sruthy, we have your back. Take a couple weeks off. This will blow over.
0: It it. I think this case was a little bit more complicated than just. Gimlet or Spotify saying we have this guy's back because he had a co-host. And if his co-host, we know that his co-host supported the union. If his co-host was in agreement with people that PJ had deeply fucked up, then like, how is that going to work?
1: Well, but by this time, um, PJ supported the Union too. Like they all supported the Union. It was just he had it at True. first. So Are you going
0: to listen to Crypto Island? Yeah,
1: I actually want to because it's an interesting subject and I I uh, I think PJ's I was I was a fan of uh, Reply All when it was TLDR in like
0: 2013.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've really liked the He's movie. a
0: really good producer. He, really is. he um it's very clear. I've listened to Crypto Island and it's very clear who the talent behind that duo was and let's just say it wasn't Jesse. <laughs>
1: Uh, All right, Katie, do you have any other other views on this? Uh, I don't think so. Let's do housekeeping. How about? Let's vacuum. (laughs) All right. So uh, first up is we'll be at Heterodox Academy Conference 2022. This is our very first live event. Uh, This is in Denver this June. Live podcast episode. For those who haven't heard of it, Heterodox Academy does a lot of work in the higher education space to increase viewpoint diversity, open inquiry, and constructive disagreement on campuses. If you'd like to attend our live show, you can register for the conference at hxaconference.org. They have some great speakers lined up, including Jonathan Haidt, John McWater, Glenn Lowry, and other leading speaker thinkers in the higher ed space, and speakers. We're very excited to be doing a live show there on June 12th, so come see us. hxaconference.org. BarPod listeners get $25 off the registration fee by entering the code BARPOD. Thank you to Heterodox Academy for hosting us. We will see you there in Denver. See you there. We also have an email address,
0: don't we? We just got this. podcast at Blockedandreportedpodcast.gmail.com. We also have a subreddit, don't we? Subreddit. Dot Blo- blocked and reported. Blockedandreported.subreddit.com. We also, for
1: a little while longer, have a merch store, don't we?
0: We do. You can find that at Blocked... God, we have too many fucking addresses to go to. If you go to blockedandreported.org, you can, for just $5 a month... Support this podcast and get three extra episodes of this podcast every month. You can also see a link to our merch store where you can buy hoodies. You can buy tote bags. You can buy togas. You can buy purses. You can buy thongs. You can buy – what else, Jesse?
1: P- PJ Vote receipts.
0: You can buy PJ Vote. Uh, that is at <laughs> blockedandreported.org.
1: I think we need to put an actual date. So we are closing the merch Yeah, store. by the end of the month. April 31st? Is there an April 31st? 30 days, April, April, June, and December. All the rest have 31. No, no, it's April April, thirty. Okay, Okay, so April 30th is the last day you can buy merch. At some point, there'll be a merch store reincarnation in a different form, but for now, we're just tired of dealing. We're tired of dealing with your bullshit, you people who want to give us money. We just can't handle it anymore.
0: dot org .org merch store. All right, any other housekeeping? I think that's it. Okay, Uh,
1: Libs of TikTok?
0: Yes, the story that everybody has been waiting for. How many uh, DMs did you get asking us to talk about it? Um, there were
1: there were several requests. Uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's a very blocked and reported story.
0: It is a very blocked and reported story, and it enables us to talk about someone I wanted to talk to many times, and you have always refused to talk about Taylor Lorenz.
1: Yeah, she's a, she's a journalist at the Washington Post. Uh, she worked at the New York Times and the Atlantic. Before that, she's like one of the leading chroniclers of basically online culture, often youth online culture, but she writes about a lot a lot of stuff. And um, yeah, we're, we're friends. I know her from real life, and it's, it's always weird to talk about someone who you know in real life. Um, but in this case, it's just like a pretty big media story, and there's a lot to discuss that goes well behind beyond her, so we're going to talk about it.
0: Yes, we are. So this all started on Monday night when Ron DeSantis's press secretary, a woman named Christina Pushaw, tweeted a screenshot of an email that she got from Taylor Lorenz of the Washington Post. Christina's comment on this was the Bezos Post Internet Hall Monitor is so excited to expose libs of Tuck Talk. Here's my comment. And then she's got a little clown emoji. And the screenshot is an email from Taylor, subjects on deadline, Washington Post reporter seeking comment. Hi, Christina. I'm a tech reporter at the Washington Post. We're running a story exposing the woman behind the libs of TikTok account. Our story mentions your many interactions with the account and praise of it. If you'd like to offer comment, please let me know within the next hour. You can give me a ring at etc. if you prefer. So uh, she publishes this tweet and this goes super viral. This becomes this major, immediately this major media story on Twitter because Taylor Lorenz. Well, there's two reasons. One is because it's about Taylor Lorenz and everything surrounding Taylor is a media story or a Twitter story. Um, and also because she was clearly going to publish this woman's identity or she says expose her. Jesse, we've talked on this show about Libs of TikTok before, but why don't you just get a little, give a little reminder? What is Libs of TikTok?
1: Yeah, Libs of TikTok is like this sort of outrage-driven account that will post uh, mostly TikTok videos of like the worst cringiest liberals um and a lot of the videos are genuinely embarrassing they're not (laughs) they come across as like unstable people but the account really does like target randos who have posted um embarrassing stuff and i think it sort of seeks to cause a lot of public humiliation the account also will just like outright lie about stuff at one point they did this little ambiguous scrap of video that showed like a pee pad in a bathroom, it looked like. And they spread this claim that a school district was allowing kids who identified as animals to use a litter box. It was just like totally made up. I actually, in one of my lowest moments as a journalist, I reached out to the school district. And I was like, do you guys know what this is about? And they just, they flatly denied anything like that had happened. Well, which of course I they accept- denied it, Jesse. Right. They actually, all their, two thirds of their kids have transitioned to cats, but mm-hmm. they're covering that up. Um, I, t- I took them, at face value, for what they said, because the video didn't even show a litter box. No. It was like it was it was unclear what it was. There's it was like three seconds of blurry footage, and so I think libs of TikTok will gladly spread stuff it knows to be false. The goal is to create outrage about liberals, uh, often about trans people. I do think that's a major area of focus. Uh, I mean, that, that's more or less what they do, right?
0: Yeah, oftentimes she'll focus on like rainbow-haired and bees crying about being misgendered. She also seems to have a particular hatred for teachers. She posted a video of a teacher... Uh, saying that he came out to his fifth grade class after a fifth grader asked him about his gay voice. And her commentary on this was, any teacher who comes out should immediately be fired. And she has actually gotten people fired. She got a professor named Alan Walker fired from, I think, Old Dominion or something like that. Um, We talked about this on the show before. This is a person who studies uh, pedophiles, basically.
1: Yeah. Do we know that it was the – I mean, Libs of TikTok greatly blew that story up. Do we know that that account was directly responsible for the firing? It might be a safe assumption. I'm just trying to remember.
0: She was at least one of the voices. I think she's bragged about teachers getting fired before. The To me, I, I had
1: long since. – I'll admit, I've watched some of the videos and cringed along with everyone else because they are cringeworthy videos. But when this account said any teacher who comes out of the closet in front of their class should be fired, I, I that is the – Pretty pure old school brand of homophobia, the idea that teachers should have to remain in the closet.
0: She's also a hub of, of groomer discourse, so we can thank her for that.
1: Yeah. It's like if you if you like James Lindsay but think he's too careful and intellectual in slinging accusations, you might like libs of TikTok.
0: Yeah. And it, the account started out when it was smaller, it was just being kind of funny, like didn't offer a lot of commentary. We just post these super cringe videos of people on Twitter basically owning themselves, some of whom clearly have some mental illness. And then it just grew. It's just ballooned into this really pretty influential social media property. She's got, before the Washington Post article came out, she had over 600,000 followers on Twitter, 100 on Instagram. So it's a big influential account that a lot of people follow. Joe Rogan has complimented it a few times. Um, And nobody knew who was behind it until this week. So she's done a bunch of interviews. She's been on Fox News. She's done interviews with the New York Post, but she's always kept her identity, her her name secret. Um, And this guy named Travis Brown found her name by looking at the metadata on some websites that she had bought. And he basically tracked her down and posted this information to Twitter. So he's the guy who actually dox this woman. So what Taylor did basically was just take the name that this guy Travis Brown had posted and then published it in the Washington Post. So let's talk about this guy, Travis Brown, for a minute. He's a computer programmer and a former Twitter employer employee, and he considers himself an anti fascist researcher. And he's got a quite a history of creating drama online of his own. Our own anti-fascist researcher, Tracing Woodgrains, looked into him, him for me. And basically what he does is label Twitter users that he doesn't like as hate accounts, and then he indexes and archives their tweets. And this, according to him, includes... Quote, Gamer Gators, The Caliper Crew, IDW, Fuck Hats, Turfs, and Mormon Nationalists, uh, which I know nothing about, but we might need to have Trace on again to tell us about that, that particular.
1: The, I, was, I was in a 90s boy band called The Caliper
0: <laughs> Is that related to The Mormon Nationalists?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sister Vance.
0: Yeah. Um, so this guy, Travis Brown, he says he's arg- he's archived over 35 million tweets. Weird hobby. And this particular project, this like tweet archiving thing, was apparently inspired by a kerfuffle uh, at LambdaConf. Do you remember this, Jesse?
1: No, and I'm guessing I don't want to.
0: You don't? Okay, so LambdaConf is a programming conference, and in 2016, Curtis Yarvin was invited to give a talk do you want to give us a little background on Curtis Yarvin?
1: I was just reading – I'm not mo- all the way through, but there's a Vanity Fair article about the so-called new right that mentions Curtis uh, Yarvin. He also goes by Menchus Moldbug. He's sort of a neo-reactionary writer um, who is beloved among some not just far-right intellectuals, but even like reasonable intellectuals really like him. He's written some truly – despicable stuff. I mean the the we don't need to get into it, but um I well, I don't like to say something like that without giving examples. The example they gave in the Vanity Fair article is he wrote a piece about Anders Breivik, the guy who murdered all the kids at the Lefty Youth Retreat in Norway where the argument was more that it wouldn't work politically. He seemed more upset that it wouldn't be politically efficacious than that the guy had murdered a bunch of people. And he compared Andrews Breivik to Nelson Mandela uh, because Nelson Mandela had also done political violence um, while fighting the apartheid state. So he's written some really gonzo ultra far-right stuff, but he's a little bit of a darling of the new right and some of its associated folks.
0: So he was invited to this conference to speak, and I might be wrong about this, but I believe it was blind invitations, like people applied under various pseudonyms, um, and then they found out it was Curtis Yarvin. I could be wrong about that, but that's what I believe happened. Um, So- after he was invited to this conference, a bunch of people signed a letter in protest because they said that he was a threat to marginalized identities. And then the conference organizers went to the community and asked people for their opinions, and they also went to Yarvin. And ultimately, they said that he could go if he would guarantee that he was there purely in a non-political fashion just to talk about this coding shit and that he would under no circumstances threaten or harm anybody. And then so this Travis Brown guy who docs lives of TikTok, he was pissed about this. And then he goes on this years long crusade against the community or the conference organizer, this guy, John DeGose, who was the conference founder. So DeGose wrote a long blog post sort of describing what he says is his campaign of harassment against him. And he accuses Travis Brown of cyber stalking, career sabotage, online harassment, and defamation. There are a lot of details in the posts. We'll link to uh, we'll link to it if you are curious about diving into this particular bullshit. And then, so he publishes this, and then Travis Brown responds by publishing an extensive archive of the crimes that he thinks that ghost has committed. But this basically in- includes defending Curtis Yarvin as well as Ed Lattimore. Do you know who he is?
1: Mm, it sounds a little familiar, but no, not really.
0: Yeah, he's probably come across your Twitter before. He's a former boxer who's like a big red pill Twitter guy. So Travis Brown also says that Goz has accused women of lying, which, well, you can't do that, even if they're lying. And then he says- Wait,
1: is that really the full accusation? There's a lot
0: of details in the- This thing is like thousands of words long. He's cataloged dozens, hundreds of tweets. He just accuses him of various things like this. Um, And I don't know much about Goz or his actual politics, but this document itself, it's pretty autistic there are just dozens and dozens of allegations and what he considers to be evidence and so this saga has been going on for years now and it's caused a big rift in these programming communities and the bottom line is that brown has a reputation within these communities of going on these obsessive crusades against people he doesn't like and then trying to get them expelled from the community that's not good Yeah. So he also created this shitty hate speech graph. Uh, It's been floating around Twitter this week. It includes people like Wesley Yang, the Weinsteins, Paul Graham, Antonio Garcia Martinez, and me. And I don't think that you made the cut, Jesse, so you should go tweet something about how furries are fuckpuffs or something (laughs) like that. Wait, so you're a a hate speaker now? I'm a hate speaker, yeah. And you're not. It's weird. Um, And he apparently gets funding for this vital work that he does from the German government for some reason. My question for them is Why? And so he's the guy who actually docs libs of TikTok, including posting her name and her workplace. Hilariously, after Christina Pushaw posted this email from Taylor and this story started to take over Twitter, I tweeted that the only way to prevent Taylor from exposing libs of TikTok was to leak me the name. And then somebody sent me this link to Travis Brown's docs. And so I could have actually scooped Taylor 12 hours before she published it. I chose not to. You did the right thing. Also, who wants that? (laughs) Who wants that sort of shit in their life? (laughs) Okay, so the next day, Taylor's story comes out in the Washington Post, and it becomes the story of the week, the media story of the week. And the story itself was not particularly meaty. Like, she basically revealed the woman's name, said that she's an Orthodox Jew who works in real estate, and she got a quote from someone at the woke ACLU and then someone at Media Matters saying, like, this account is bad. But there's no exploration about why the account is popular or even sort of connecting the dots about how influential it is, if it is indeed influential. So let's talk about the ethics of this first, Jesse. would you, What do you think about publishing this woman's name? Would you have done it?
1: I, yeah, I can see the case for it. I think Libs of TikTok has like over 600,000 followers now. It was mentioned by Joe Rogan. It has, because of the shitty fact that Twitter – drives a lot of political and journalistic conversations these days. Libs of TikTok, unfortunately, has some agenda-setting power. I don't think if you have that big an account and you tread in such uh, controversial waters, you have a full expectation of privacy. The the part where I'm a little bit wobbly is like, okay, you look into this account, you find out it's actually not very interesting, the answer. It would be interesting if this turned out to be a Steve Bannon staffer or Stephen Miller. It's just some orthodox lady who who tried out a couple basic online grips and then found this and it worked. I, I guess I could see the argument for like, just describe who she is and say you talk to her because that's interesting without revealing her name. Or do you think like there's something particularly important about having her name out there?
0: No, I'm with you on this. I think it's f- totally fair game, especially because of what this woman does is set people up for ridicule I mean the reason part of the reason that this is a a big story is because it was Taylor who did this and we'll get into that in a moment but if this woman is an influential figure and I think that she is I think it's fair game but I'm not totally sure that there's a good reason to publish it like is it actually in the public interest to know this woman's name if she's just some random realtor in New York like she could have described her without saying the name it's not like it was Christina Pushall's alt or something like that You know, and Taylor really gave up her agenda when she said that she was going to expose this woman using that language. It was an interesting choice of words. Taylor clearly disagrees with this account. If this had been an account that The Washington Post agreed with or liked or thought was doing good work, I can imagine them saying, this is a real estate agent in New York. We're not going to publish her name because we don't want to direct harassment towards this woman. And that, of course, is why this became an even bigger story, because it was Taylor who published it. And Taylor has a history of complaining about online harassment and doxing. Just a couple weeks ago, she was on MSNBC literally crying because she gets so much harassment online. And she's made this a story about gender, saying, you know, the problem is that women get so much hate online. And then she publishes this woman's name guaranteeing that this woman is going to get a ton of shit thrown at her and the fact is like apparently this is her name is very common within the orthodox community and so other people have gotten harassed there's an influencer a british influencer on instagram who was getting harassed and so what taylor basically did using the washington post was start a giant dog pile of this woman However, it didn't entirely work because I think this woman has gotten less harassment than Taylor has gotten because of this. And her account is fucking enormous now. She has almost a million followers. So I think it totally backfired. While her her, her name is, I guess, newsworthy, it totally backfired. You know, and it's hard to be consistent about this. Like, you remember when the, when the New York Times threatened to expose Scott Alexander? Yeah. I mean, what was your thinking about that? Was his identity news where he he's more influential than her, I think, in many ways, especially in the world of tech.
1: Is he I, it's so hard to know like what influential means these days, because you can be you can have six hundred thousand Twitter followers. Anyway, we, we can table that. It's an interesting question. The Scott Alexander thing was a little bit different because his first and last names were already out. He'd published them. This was just his publishing his middle name. I didn't understand why they had to do that or why it was in anyone's interest. Um So I I think it's legitimately tricky, and I think almost everyone is inconsistent about that. And when it comes to their enemies or the outgroup, they accept behavior that they will howl about when it is inflicted on them or their friends.
0: Yeah, it just comes down to, I think, in like a case by case. Like, okay, do you remember CNN a few years ago? uh, They threatened to dox the guy who posted a GIF uh, from Reddit of Donald Trump like wrestling with the CNN logo and Trump tweeted it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so CNN tracked down this dude. His his online handle was Han Asshole Solo. <laughs>
1: That's a really good name. I yeah, I tried to sign up with that, but it was already taken. Let
0: Let me read you a passage from the CNN piece about this. CNN's, CNN is not publishing Han Assel Solo's name because he is a private citizen who has issued an extensive statement of apology, showed his remorse by saying he has taken down all his offending posts, and because he said he is not going to repeat this ugly behavior on social media again. In addition, he said his statement could serve as an example to others to not do the same. CNN reserves the right to publish his identity should any of that change. This
1: is like a fucking hostage
0: situation. Yeah. It's bizarre that was so fucked up it was so fucked up i thought that was just totally egregious and then there there have been many cases of you know left media doxing or exposing say anonymous qAnon people this does happen all the time and so i guess for most people it just comes down to political affiliation but the piece itself like the piece the piece itself was not revealing to me whatsoever and so it was sort of a waste like all right now we know this woman's name big fucking deal
1: yeah, I think Matt Iglesias, his critique was basically like, this just is is um, Taylor and the Post being like, we think this person's bad and quoting Media Matters and someone else is saying they're bad. And it might be more interesting to figure out why people like libs of TikTok and how it fits into this broader right wing outrage ecosystem. Um, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it is a pretty loathsome account and has done some horrible stuff and you can explain that. But. It, it might be more interesting to understand, to also, alongside doing that, um, try to understand the appeal. And I think part of the fact is that there are these incredibly cringeworthy teachers posting stuff to TikTok, and I don't think they reflect the average teacher. I think that's the whole point, is that social media shines a spotlight on outliers and weirdos, but, you know, in some cases, they're saying really provocative stuff that, that sort of, like, almost pits kids against their parents and is like, listen to me, don't listen to your parents, stuff of that sort. And you can understand why that stuff goes viral because outrage content goes viral and and lefties pass around out of context, outlying stuff from crazy people on the right. So I, I did think that part was maybe missing from it a little bit.
0: Yeah. So one of our listeners DM'd me recently and asked me to explain why exactly I don't li- like libs of tiktok and it basically comes down to this libs of tiktok does cancel culture yeah absolutely. this is what this is taking some random person pushing granted they put this content out there themselves that was stupid they should everybody should get off of tiktok but finding this content putting it out there for for hundreds of thousands or millions of people to ridicule and then actually in some cases trying to get people fired tagging their employers this is bad behavior. It's cruel behavior, and I think it also gives people the false impression that teachers everywhere are this fucking wacky, and they just aren't. They're not. And no. and I got into this. I talked about this with uh, with Nelly Bowles on on TJF this week, and Nelly was defending libs of TikTok. And her point was basically like the New York Times and the Washington Post do the same thing. And I think she has a point there. She does. They, of course, do or should do a little bit more fact checking and like verify claims that they're making in a way that libs of TikTok doesn't. But any case where you're you're pulling some random.
1: I think I think that's a false comparison. I think they've had they've had. I've been very critical of those papers. They would not post three seconds of out-of-context video and be like, this specific school district is letting kids identify as cats and piss in a litter. I mean, it's just no, I don't think there's a-
0: Yeah, but remember something like Covington. I guess so.
1: Although, I mean, there was a settlement at the Washington Post, so that was pretty bad. But a lot of this does come down to, this is a whole other can of worms, but the difference between what newspapers report and their the behavior of their staffers on Twitter, which in some cases almost reaches, the latter almost reaches uh, TikTok levels of foolishness or oh, sorry sorry libs of tiktok levels of foolishness.
0: Right, either way, Taylor got tons of criticism for this uh, as was expected, but she also got tons of praise from, you know, some blue-check media types. Like people kept using the term shoe leather reporting because she went to a relative of some of one of libs of tiktok's relatives house and knocked on the door, which <laughs> is kind of funny that this is considered like Watergate level fucking reporting. Here's a tweet from Will Oramus. He puts a link to it. Here's a a piece of good old-fashioned shoe-leather reporting that examines the role of an increasingly powerful figure in conservative media, revealing the human behind the anonymous account that directs waves of hate and harassment at ordinary LGBTQ folks. It didn't really do anything but reveal her name, which is really common. Alex Thompson. It's called shoe-leather reporting for a reason. Dominico Montaro from NPR. Knocking on doors is not harassment. It's shoe-leather reporting about someone who is influencing... Like, people just kept using this fucking...
1: Shoe-leather reporting. But... I will say there was a weird history theory thing in people claiming that showing up at a door is harassment, when that is what journalists are supposed to do.
0: No, I agree with you. But it's her sister. That's the irony here, is Taylor specifically has complained about people contacting her relatives, and she she went to this woman's relative's house. You know, it reminded me, there was a couple years ago when I was at The Stranger, a young reporter went and knocked on a bunch of doors of people who had donated to some initiative that the stranger didn't like. And she basically went to these like rich people's houses and knocked on their doors. And I don't know if any, maybe one of them answered. And this was in Seattle. You would have thought that she had like solved a fucking murder. People were so impressed by this shoe leather reporting. <laughs> My feeling about it was like, you've knocked on these people's doors Got them to confirm their addresses or whatever, confirm their names or whatever, and then you publish something that nobody in your circle is going to disagree with. <laughs> like this doesn't take like this doesn't take a, like massive fucking guts. You went and knocked yeah. on somebody's door, but I think it also shows just the like the barrier, how low the barrier is to good reporting right now. Yeah, I mean, there's... she left her house. <laughs> Can you believe it? Yeah, um,
1: I mean, it seems like everything this whole thing was litigated just through the lens of being pro or anti Taylor Lorenz. And people have very strong feelings about that. And people, you know, it's a lot of, it's like, it feels like every new fight is just a proxy fight for some bigger fight. I don't know. Um, I found the, the, the blanket tweeting about this, uh, it was like all anyone was talking about for days, it felt like.
0: This thing is just hypocrisy all the way down. Taylor Lorenz complains about harassment constantly, specifically harassment directed towards women. Then she exposes a private citizen, a woman, setting her up for harassment. And that woman's whole gig is exposing private citizens and setting them up for harassment. <laughs> like, who is good here? Who looks good here?
1: Well, but I still don't – I still think there's a difference between blowing up a random teacher who did a bad – TikTok that twenty people would have seen otherwise versus um, whether you think it's righteous or not, uh, unmasking someone with a giant influential Twitter account. I, I don't think those. It's
0: it's no. It's the fact that Taylor did it. It's not. I think if yeah. you were, you had done it, or if I had done it, or somebody else had done it, I think the reaction wouldn't have been as strong. No, I'm a big time. I'm a big time harasser. I've yeah, harassed a lot yeah, of that right. would be expected. Yeah. No, it's the fact that Taylor is. This is her thing. Is that she complains about online harassment towards women, and she absolutely one hundred percent set this woman up. For harassment i think taylor ended up getting more than she did but you can't you know if you're if your whole fucking mission in life is to is to do something about harassment on the media or complain until your bosses do something then and the washington post published the some of this woman's personal information initially they linked to like her real estate real estate license or something like this they took it out later they issued a statement defending taylor and saying we didn't publish any of this woman's personal information which was a lie. Oh, and they also said that the woman's identity was well was like public knowledge on social media. That wasn't true at all. Like this one dude had published that had doxxed her, but even that didn't get hardly any attention. So even the statement that they posted about Taylor, they misrepresented what happened.
1: I think both doxing and harassment and abuse, these are all terms that have such different meanings to different people and frequently get weaponized in bad faith ways. Yeah.
0: For sure. I mean, I think the woman's name is fair game. I just think it's fucking hilarious that Taylor Lorenz is the one who exposed her. I'm trying to think if I if I was this could have been a much better story.
1: I think there's sometimes less interest in understanding why stuff is popular and more interest in just sort of like moralizing. And um, I'm sort of worried about that politically because like. Uh, conservatives have, I think are doing a pretty genius job of winning these culture wars. It doesn't matter that these teachers are outliers. This shit goes super viral. The 1% of dumbest diversity and, um, gender identity trainings will go viral. Um, and I don't think we've necessarily, I was talking about this on my college, but I don't think we've come up with like good responses or good ways to like, just say like, we don't believe in what the crazies are doing. And I just think we shouldn't be surprised when this backlash works and makes maybe the electoral bloodletting worse, because I, I I, think just calling everyone a bigot forever isn't going to work, because some of the TikToks are actually pretty bad. They're not representative. They are being used for outrage purposes, but they're also bad, and they reflect like an actual ideology held by some people on the left.
0: Yeah, either way, libs of TikTok seems to be doing fine. I wonder if she kind of wanted to be unmasked
1: I think this will be a net benefit for her. I think she'll get harassment and death threats, which will be unpleasant, but she's already getting a surge of support from the right. Um, some guy is in a position of power is like basically paying her now for this. Oh, Babylon B. Yeah, not Babylon B, but the guy who runs it or funds it is as his own initiative paying her. I'm uh, going to give her some money.
0: He should, he should worry about defamation because she like she called the Trevor Project rumors. Um, she, yeah, he, <laughs> he should cover his ass.
1: The fucking litter box thing was so crazy. I just – I really think it's, it's a so smoking. dumb. It like,
0: wasn't even a fucking litter box. It was a pee pad. It was a pee pad. Let, a the, pee pad. let the cat kids pee on the pee pad. Right. It's no big deal. It's just don't shit. If, as long as you shit in the toilet, just pee on the pee pad. It's well, fine.
1: At this elementary school, we're instituting a compromise. The kids who identify as cats pee in the pee
0: pad, poop in the toilet. It's fine. Yeah. Come on. Ugh. <sighs> Anything else? That's it. This will probably not be the last time we talk about either Libs of TikTok or Taylor Lorenz, as much as you
1: <laughs> Yes, it will. Yeah, it's, it will. I declare no. that it
0: will. No.
1: Yeah, it's uh, – let's, let's leave these subjects alone for a while.
0: Libs of TikTok, by the way, sort of made me famous. Did you see this screenshot that was floating around?
1: Um, wait, yes. You, you asked someone something and they were – wait, yeah, what happened?
0: Okay, so you were being harassed for some bullshit and I tweeted something like, Online harassment is never okay unless it's directed at my enemies, in which case it's fine. And then Taylor responded to that, I know you're joking, but doxing, stalking, and trying to smear, hurt and smear people's loved ones, threatening them, it's not okay in any situation. People on here who constantly stoke these politicized outrage campaigns want to dismiss it, but it shouldn't be dismissed, has very real consequences. So Libs of TikTok naturally took a screenshot of this, of my comment and Taylor responding to it. And this just went all over the internet. It's all over Reddit. It's all over Twitter. So people have seen my fucked up, distorted face all over the place now. I thought that was just a photo of you. That was that, that was, was it. Like a you th- thought it was just the photo. photo. Yeah. I thought you looked
1: that smeared in real life.
0: My hair's not that good.
1: <laughs> Anything else, Katie? I think that's it. This has been Blocked and Reported. As always, we're produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains. I'm Jesse Single, and remember... I got a 5,000 on my SATs, even though my eyes were closed, because I was asleep.
0: And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, burries don't use litter boxes, they wear diapers.